0: Hollywood Live Extra with Tanya Hart.
1: You're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. Today, we are paying tribute to the late, great movie and TV director, John Singleton. You know, John was truly one of the most prolific directors of our time. He was just 23 when he wrote and directed Boys in the Hood, the 1991 film that made him the youngest and first African-American director to be nominated for an Oscar. You know what? Very few people saw John's brilliance coming. But my guest today, did. Frank Price was the chairman and CEO of Columbia Pictures when he gave the green light to an unknown, fresh-out-of-college student to direct a studio film. Frank and John have been a team ever since, up until John's untimely death at age 51 from a stroke. Frank Thank you so much for joining me today in this important conversation. And my condolences go out to you as well. Thank um, you. You know, you have been consulting with John on many of his scripts since the early days, including the Emmett Till story, which he was working on. And I want to talk about that a little bit later. But let's go back to 1991. What was it that you saw in John that made you say yes?
0: First, uh, he had written a brilliant script, uh, which uh, reminded me of the uh, my experience when I first saw the uh, Italian movie uh, uh, Bicycle Thief. It was, he had riveting characters and it uh, was very credible and very moving. So, I met with John and he was uh, very impressive in meeting. He was quite self-assured. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I questioned him on a number of things. Uh, One of which was uh, uh, what his approach would be in uh, directing uh, uh, the picture. Uh, For instance, uh, how would he handle the helicopters at night? And uh, right away he said he wouldn't need helicopters. He could do that with sound and light. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So that told me that he at least was budget conscious. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I had been impressed with him because uh, the meeting that I had was set up by uh, uh, Amy Pascal and Stephanie Elaine, and they were champions of the script, which had been around town as a writing sample and nobody had gone for it yet. So right. I had just newly taken over Columbia uh, for the second time, so they brought it to me and i said to them well uh, i asked john uh, who do you see casting who do you see in these roles and it was people that were not known i hadn't heard of so uh, uh i said let's let him put these uh, actors on tape audition them and let's see what it looks like so about a week later uh, we had a screening of uh, John's choices uh, for uh, the actors. And uh, the first one that uh, uh, was on the television screen that we looked at, it was Ice Cube. He just jumped off the screen. This clearly was somebody charismatic mm-hmm. and perfect for the role. So, And the rest of the tests, Angela Bassett, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Cuba Gooding. They were all superb. So right away it told me that John had uh, something cri- critical for a director, uh, which, of course, is uh, he was a good judge of star talent. Better judge than most, because here he was picking stars out of unknown. So- That's right.
1: I, I, you know, I have to d- let people understand your role at this time. You are the guy who was responsible for nine out of the ten top-grossing films in Columbia's history. You were making films like Tootsie, Gandhi, Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, just to name a few. And then you make this decision to give this unknown kid six million dollars. <laughs> Did people think Frank had lost his mind? Because there were no, as you said, no white faces as major characters. This was unheard of, even in a movie that's telling a black story. And this- the topic is black-on-black crime. So, what were people thinking?
0: Well, I uh, don't think I had a lot of support in town, uh, (laughs) but uh, they probably thought I was an idiot. So, uh, but uh, I really had such a strong feeling about John, because uh, the fact that he could write that script told me he'd be able to direct it. because he had had to envision every character, every scene. And if he could do that once, he certainly could do it in putting it on film. So Mm -hmm. uh, now in something like that, you know, it's always possible you've made a mistake that the picture won't be as good as you really thought it would be. But, uh, of course, that's the risk you take.
1: Well, that is—you did take the risk. I think it was what six million dollar budget, and right off the top, it made over sixty million, I believe.
0: So, right. I, I had at people... first said uh, that uh, we should make it for four million dollars. I wanted to put a very experienced but sensitive producer with John, somebody, and, and that turned out to be uh, the Steve Nicolaitis that uh, I think Michael Nathanson had. Uh, Recommended, And Steve Nicolaitis was somebody who could make sure everything was done professionally, but he wouldn't try to impose his vision on the movie. He would help John achieve his vision. And that's exactly what happened.
1: That's true. And that's so important. Um, basically, you were protecting him and surrounding him at a time when that just wasn't heard of for hardly anybody in this business and still isn't today. You know, so let's talk a little bit about the importance of that, of having having that kind of support, even in today's world. Because, of course, John and, and you, along with him, went on and he's done so many things and won so many accolades. But you really need that, don't you?
0: Yes, yes, definitely.
1: And, and what was it that, kind of convinced everyone else that okay Frank knew exactly what he was doing other than obviously the box office success but even before you got there
0: well I had a very good team uh, you know I've mentioned uh, uh, Amy and Stephanie Elaine but I had uh, my marketing team led team led by Marvin Antonowski and I posed the the uh, problem to Marvin uh, how do we get a white audience to see this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, uh, mm-hmm. we kicked it around and that's when he came up with the idea of taking this to the Cannes Film Festival which would make it an international film mm-hmm. and generate publicity for it that uh, uh, could reach people uh, Uh, a portion of the audience that might not normally be attracted to it so we did take it to uh, this was all predicated on the fact that we have a terrific film when we screened the film we said it is outstanding so we're taking it to Cannes. i took john over uh And we took Ice Cube with us too, so that Cannes got to see its first uh, rap concert. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We put one on, we threw a party. We were trying to publicize the film. We weren't in contention. We hadn't been able to get in contention, but we were in a special category where we could do an official screening. Uh, It was called uh, On uh, on a Certain Regard, I think it was. Mm And uh, our publicity people uh, uh, put uh, graffiti on billboards we had rented. That caused word of mouth. And when <laughs> we so finally sure. screened the film for, uh, at the festival, it was a 700-seat theater, which was filled, and there were at least 700 people outside trying to get in. So wow. So it, it became the talk of the festival. And then when we opened it opened big, and one of the great satisfactions I had was that by the end of the run, uh, the audience, which was young, uh, half of it uh, was uh, black and half of it was white. So wow. we had achieved our objective, and, uh, you know, I mean, clearly, uh, you can't do any of these things if the film isn't superb. And of course, That's John true. had made a superb film.
1: Well, there you have it. And you know, it's interesting for all of the people who will be listening or who are listening to this podcast, uh, they can also go online and see that photo of you and John at Cannes. Um, and it's so funny because that was John's first trip outside of Los Angeles. Yes. He goes to Cannes Film Festival. Amazing. He, that, must, around, that must have been amazing around for him.
0: Me. He went around the film festival, to a certain extent, hiding because he had a camera. So he was often behind the camera shooting other people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds like John. Right. It really does. It's... It's so funny because that was at the time I first met him. I did his first um, interview, uh, first TV interview on BET about the film. And we knew then that it was a hit. Um, And like I said, it's interesting because, you know, this film came along at a time when black exploitation had just kind of finished and there really there was there was nothing like it there was no outlet for african americans or any people of color really and this changed all of that pretty much forever you changed the landscape forever after that Not only did we have Ice Cube and and Cuba Gooding Jr. and Angela Bassett in films, I mean, now they've all got huge careers themselves and have become moguls, but it changed the economy in many ways for this business for African Americans. Can you speak to that?
0: I believe it did. I think uh, we showed that uh, the right film uh, could do business. Uh, uh, My only regret uh, was that Uh, I had left the studio and uh, didn't have a chance to be in charge of the international marketing on the picture, uh, because I think we would have proved at the time that uh, it could be marketed internationally too. Mm -hmm. And I think it uh, took uh, until now Black Panther to demonstrate that thoroughly to everybody, that uh, there's a market out there worldwide.
1: There really is, and and you're right. It did. It took another 20 years to get there, um, but you know we've at least gotten there. And more importantly, now I understand that since this film was released in 1991, it appears that crime in South LA has decreased by 75 percent. Some people say it's really because of Boys in the Hood. What would you say to that?
0: I am sure. It contributed to that, that was uh, certainly a purpose that John had in mind, uh, you know, our uh, uh, the legend that was on it, he increased the peace, was very important. Uh, I had, by the way, uh, uh, when I had the script and was making the decision to go with it, uh, I had some aid because I wanted to make sure we weren't doing anything inadvertently wrong. So uh, uh, I had a long time friendship with Sydney Poitier. So I asked Sydney to read the script Mm -hmm. and tell me if there were any potholes I was overlooking. And uh, (laughs) Sydney got back to me and said, No, it's terrific.
1: Well, there you go. That was that was certainly a stamp of approval, if if I've ever heard one. I uh, just want to let everybody know you're listening to Hollywood Live Extra. I'm Tanya Hart. My guest today is the legendary studio chief. Frank Price, as we pay tribute to the late, great John Singleton. You know, it's, uh, we mentioned that, um, you know, in few conversations I've had with John, actually over the last couple of years, he kept talking about the Emmett Till story. Uh, for those who don't remember, or don't know, Emmett was a young man who was lynched in the South in the 50s. And this is one of those stories that has been such a sore here in America in our hearts and souls and and he was about doing this on film to you know let everybody see it where were you guys in this project and what do you think is going to happen with that now
0: I don't know what's going to happen with it you know it's John's project so that's part of his estate um I was very excited when I read the script because I had been very well aware of the Emmett Till story for uh, decades. And uh, I had had an experience when I was 14. Uh, uh, my family lived in a small southern uh, town in 1944. And uh, we had moved there from California, which actually near Oak Ridge. It was My father was working on the uh, Oak Ridge plant. Hmm. And uh, I had an experience uh, because I was sort of the damn Yankee in how I got labeled. And (laughs) it was a very tough year for me. And at one point, I got picked up by some guys who took me out in the country and pushed me around and said uh, that I'd been bragging that my grandfather had killed 165 rebels during the Civil War. Uh, which was, <laughs> I hadn't said any such thing, but that was the rumor they put around so uh, I was afraid they were going to find out I was from Illinois you know, Lincoln and Grant country I kept mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm from California, I don't know anything about the Civil War, I'm sure you guys were right you know, anything to get out of the mess because so, right. they had they had uh, lead pipes and tire iron and uh Anyway, I think I was sufficiently supine that, supine that they finally let me go. I was, you know, out in the darkness, but I finally made it home. But wow. because of that experience, when I heard about the Emmett Till thing, I know he wouldn't have been able to get out of it as I finally did. And it's really terrifying to uh, be in those circumstances. So. Anyway, I do think John had come up with the script that I think would have been a a huge success. I think uh, it's a very strong script. He found the approach to tell the story. Hmm. Uh, If you just do the Emmett Till story, uh, that might not appeal enough to an audience. It could be too dark, too grim, too down. But John found the way to tell it where uh, there was some hope that came out of it and something that an audience uh, could be attracted to. So I'm very disappointed that will not be done by him. See, oh my you know, goodness, he has yeah. his unique approach. He
1: certainly did, and we are all still in shock over the sudden loss of John. What would you say about his legacy going forward?
0: going into the future, and I've already seen it in the reporting of uh, his tragic death, uh, that his stature is only going to grow more and more because I think uh, there's an assessment going on now of the uh, nature of his work and uh, the, the uh, you know, as I said, the stature, Seems to be increasing all the time, and deservedly so. So, starting with uh, Boys in the Hood, which is certainly an iconic work, and I see the critics going through all his work, reevaluating it, Rosewood, uh, and Poetic Justice, and there's there so many titles that uh, uh, I think will take on special significance with uh, as the time has passed. It's always, you know, it's always hard to uh, judge things at the time they're done and released. Uh, Boys in the Hood, uh, very few critics saw what uh, a giant of a picture it actually was.
1: Thank you, Frank, for believing in John and changing the landscape here in Hollywood forever. We can't thank you enough.
0: Thank you, Tanya. I enjoy talking about John, and I am brokenhearted that he's gone.
1: You're listening to a tribute to the late, great John Singleton. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Make sure you download all of these. You don't want to miss any of them. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. I'm Tanya Hart. This is Hollywood Live Extra. Hollywood Live
0: Extra, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.